Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the PropG Markets podcast. For nearly two years, PropG Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, PropG Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer... It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the MMA Beat. We're here in New York City. It is, uh, let's see, Thursday, May 30th. 2019. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I appreciate it. You know me from MMA Fighting as well as SiriusXM, and I am joined by two long-faced, esteemed panelists. Mr. Bigote himself is to my left, the one and only Danny Segura from MMA Fighting. And at the very end, I was actually, where was I the other day? I was at a restaurant with my wife. Actually, before I saw him, it was on a Sunday. And the bar had on that show you do oh, on yes. Fox Sports 1. PBC wow. Face to Face. Face Thank to you. Face. Look and I was you. like, I can't believe that the guy who talks about gas station food on the show that I host is also repping himself on national TV. A Brian modern Campbell. day renaissance man, if you will. You truly are. From CBS Sports, again, FS1. Is that a fair? PBC on Fox, Showtime Boxing, a couple other entities. Yeah, Out there. Cumberland Farms gas station in your neighborhood. Thank you. There he is, Brian Campbell. So we appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, of course, at the end of the show, we will get to your questions. Actually, some pretty good ones today. I was very impressed uh, from okay. Twitter using the hashtag TheMMABeat. Keep sending them. We will pick the best ones and answer them live on air. All right, boys. A lot to get to today, so let us do it. First of all, Danny, UFC Stockholm is this weekend. Very, very, very quickly. Do you think people care? Not much, right? Not, not, not much. Yeah. I do like the main event, though. So why don't we start there, right? Yeah, the main event is good, and there's also a few fights here and there that are that are decent. But now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you first, but I want to bring up something he told me before we got on the air. I like the main event, which is mm-hmm. Anthony Smith taking on Alexander Gustafson. But the reason I like it is just as a fight. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see where Gustafson is coming off the John Jones loss. At the same time, I'm kind of interested to see where Anthony Smith is. Coming off the John Jones loss, we had him on the show That's right. on Monday. I thought they had, I thought both had some yeah. kind of interesting things to say about where they're going. Both of them treating this fight as a very selfish endeavor, and that's commonly true for a fight, but like especially true in this particular case. Mm-hmm. So you heard my p- uh, plea about why I like it. He hates this fight. Yeah. He think it makes no sense. He says it has no narrative. Hey, don't, don't steal my thunder. Hold on, man. hold on. That's all. I'm not going to give it away. It has no purpose. Where are you? I feel like I'm a little bit in the middle. I think from a styles point and just uh, from a sporting point, I think I think the fight's going to be good. I, I think after listening to both those interviews on the MMA Hour, I was like, okay, wow, I'm a lot more interested in that fight than, than I was before. Yep. And stylistically, they both match up pretty well. So I'm curious to see, you know, how that looks, you know, once, once they step in the octagon. But as far as uh, if you're trying to groom a division, if you're trying to set up interesting matchups, if you're trying to set up guys in a way that they can have paths back to the title, this this is not it. And I'm sure you'll probably elaborate a little bit more on that. But both guys are coming off a loss against John Jones. They recently fought for the title because John Jones is being pretty active. A win, it's I feel like it hurts more to lose, and it, there's not really much to gain for for a win here other than look, I got a win, and, and that's it. But Whoever wins here is not going to get a title shot immediately. We still have a long way to go. You nailed it. You nailed it. There's nothing of course There's I nothing did. to yes. win. I love you, by the way, in the red and black lumberjack. Just need the hat to match. Ultimately, look, it's like a Thank you. quasi-loser that. leaves town in terms of the title picture. A win doesn't get any of them a closer to a title shot because they both just lost to John Jones. And this is an interesting division right now when you look at 205. You got the greatest fighter of all time at the top. You have somewhat of a hollow cupboard below where you don't have names. You got a couple of guys who may be next when you're looking at a Johnny Walker weirdo or maybe even uh, Dom Reyes if he could put things back on the track. But ultimately, I don't understand the sacrificing the one of these two names in this matchup. Certainly, if you're going to get Gustafsson in Stockholm, Sweden in his backyard, what, what are you Smith is a sellable B-side with that. But here's what you're sacrificing, okay? okay? Names. Jones isn't going to heavyweight like I think he should. He seems like he wants to just stay busy, cash them checks, pick apart the Tiago Santos one by one. Guys. So my point on it is this. 
You want to find out if those other guys are for real. I don't want a division where all the young names who may have next are just waiting in line for their John Jones cash out. I want to find out if they're real. I want Anthony Smith against the Dom Reyes or a Johnny Walker. So why not necessarily both against well, each okay, other? Hold on, hold on. Why don't you think you? Okay, we we can all agree it might be a fun fight. I think even on that oh, level. Let's not let's not get it wrong. This fight is fun. I okay. want to see it from that standpoint. I'm just saying it's questionable matchmaking. I'm not saying I hate it. I'm I think saying, you make, I think Jose. I think you make some great points about the matchmaking. I take them seriously. But the part I'm a little bit confused about, I'm not sure that I follow, is that this is not a test of either guy. I would humbly submit it's a very clear and important test of either guy. I mean, someone's got to lose, so... It's more than that. If you're Smith and you beat Gustafsson, holy S, the, the Volkan Uzdemir win is important, but he's been part of a long losing streak. So you can, if you wanted to be a critic, you could do it in that way. Exactly. This would be categorically the best win of his career by a million miles. If you lose, he kind of goes back to a bit of a different space. If you're Gustafsson and you win, first of all, you get... I think there's been some questions about where his headspace is. He gets answers some of yeah. those. And if he loses, whoa, dude, that is a monumental shift at the top of that division. It tell is. Me, tell but me why that doesn't matter. What I say that there's no winner is neither of these guys are going to take a victory and go right back in line and get close mm -hmm. to fighting Jones again. And when you are in a division where you don't have a deep pool of names, these two are strong B-sides. Gustin will be an A-side because of his name. But strong B-sides from the idea of let's find out if somebody else is for real and let's use this name commercially to sell the fight and use this name as a test to get them over the hump to set yes. them up to fight John Jones. Now you're essentially giving one of these guys two losses in a row. Mm -hmm. And I think for Anthony Smith, considering he was so honest and saying, I didn't want this fight. I want to take some time off. I lost five hard rounds to John Jones, in which I took a beating and maybe didn't show the, my best foot forward in terms of strategy or mindset. Now he's coming back, turning it around quickly into a fight he doesn't want. And I heard his comments on your show where you like the refreshingness, but he's basically saying, I'm not thinking about a victory. I don't care about a loss. I'm just going to go out there and fight and punch and kick. I feel like he's being set up to be sent back yeah. in the other direction toward those 13 losses that he has on his record. It's just sort of like, why are we doing this fight right now? Yeah. As Brian said, these two guys are, are really strong B-sides. Obviously, you can probably put Gustafsson you know, in an A-side, but... Ultimately, what you want from a, from a matchmaking standpoint is, is to start catapulting guys and, and making them visible and, and making their brand stronger and also just showing skill, skills-wise, look, this could be a serious threat to John Jones. If Anthony Smith goes in there and destroys Alexander Gustafson, we're going to go, okay, that Rashad Evans wins, that Shogun Rua wins. Like, he is legit. It wasn't any fluke. He, he, he's a legit contender. But there's no road back to John Jones, at least for now. Say you would have put Johnny Walker in there and he would have had the same result. All of a sudden, we want to see Johnny Walker versus John, John Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can plug in Luke Rockhold against uh, Anthony Smith. They had a, a, a nice little back and forth and people were, you know, wanted to see that matchup. And for some reason, it didn't get booked. Imagine if he be beats Anthony Smith, you know, the guy who went five rounds with John Jones that not many people are able to do. All of a sudden, you know, you want to see Luke Rockhold versus John Jones, you know, a lot more. I feel like people already want to see it. At this yeah, they point, already but, want to see that. No, but, but it would just fuel the fire a lot more. This this fight has no, there's no end in, in, in as far as like, it, it, there's no clear picture as far as like, whoever wins here, we don't know what's next. Okay, here's what I, I I'm not, I'm just not buying But no, I, I agree with you that it does, at the end of the day, it does answer some questions. We are going to find out where Anthony Smith, if he's a legit you know, top five light heavyweight. We found out he's not the guy. That guy's John Jones. Yes. But with this matchup, we're going to find out if he's a top five or not. Now, understand, Fair. I'm not saying it's the perfect fight. I'm not saying it's yeah. the, this is this was the one that had to get made. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I guess what I'm, I'm still not buying some of what y'all are selling me here a little bit. I'm, we're haggling here at the Turkish market. I guess the thing is this. Number one, we're like, oh, a path back to a title. Guys, they both just lost in title fights. Yes. It wouldn't matter who they fought next. That's a long way okay, off. Okay. So, secondly, hold on. This is the second point because it's relevant to mm -hmm. this. It can't be both. It can't be both that you you are admittedly telling me this is a super thin division without names and also what's the road back? The answer is you don't need much of a road. What's the road back through a Bellator title? Being present, getting a win or two, and just having your name out there? It's a very similar situation. So I'm not saying, like, look, the winner here, catapults, rockets, oh, I mean, they're going to get... No, no, I agree with that. There's, there's, It's a little bit of like a bit of murky situation. But we don't know when Johnny Walker's coming back, and maybe Dom Reyes doesn't get it done. One more win from these other two guys, especially in the case of Smith, who has not lost twice. Not, not buying it, right, fellas. Well, they, not well, buying the, it. And I get what you're saying. You can't be half pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, 
Do you lose here if you're UFC and Anthony Gustafson takes two losses in a row? Anthony Smith. I'm, I'm sorry, Alexander Gustafson yeah. would take two losses in a row when he is your second biggest name in this division. Yeah, you're not going to put him in a trilogy anytime soon against John Jones. But again, from the idea of testing those other names, he's your A side if you want to test him against these other names. Why are you testing him against Anthony Smith, who I mentioned how many losses he has? He's still got to prove that he is an elite fighter, in my opinion. Throwing him back in there against Gustafson, it just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense unless they're rewarding him yeah. for, for, I don't know, not taking a DQ win over John Jones. Is that it? I mean, just just let's just, just drop down to the 145 pound division for a second. Look, look how they were matchmaking Jose Aldo. I, I wasn't in I wasn't in favor of Jose Aldo fighting at 145. I wanted to see him at 155. But nonetheless, he was put he was put in matchups where, look, it, it's a it's a it's a you know a coin flip in the sense of it could go either way. Yes, but at least if if a certain outcome happens, you can catapult somebody into you know maybe you're not start. You're talking after the second Holloway fight. Yeah. For example, he he fought, rebound, you mean. he fought Jeremy Stevens, right. and we thought you know Jose Aldo might probably win. But if Jeremy Stevens wins, holy you know he's up there, and all of a sudden you might want to see Holloway versus Stevens. This is not the same case. Whoever wins here, there there's no path back to John Jones at least for for the moment being. And you know as Brian noted, these are big names. You know Gustafson is flirting with retirement. I mean he he's not really. He's not sure of where he's at right now in his career. So we don't know if he has a couple fights left in him, one fight left in him, a bunch. We don't know. But at least use the star power that he has because he does have some star power and try to build somebody else. Somebody else that hasn't gotten a crack at the title. I feel like that's where Brian is getting at. Johnny which, Walker would have been a great choice yeah. in this particular case. Uh, how about Luke, Luke Rockhold versus uh, Alexander Gustafson? I, I guess he just wasn't ready. I agree. The Luke Rockhold one is so interesting yeah. for that division, you know, and especially if also, we'll talk about him later in the show. If Joel Romero moved up to 205, mm -hmm. I think you'd get a lot of fun. Yeah. I uh, mean, would it have been any different if this main event was Gustafson and Volkan Ozdemir? To me, you got storylines there. Ozdemir coming on, and I, was, I know he's in the co main event. You would have preferred the that. Well, from, how about this storyline? Ozdemir's on a three-fight losing streak. I know he kind of got screwed in that last fight. If he goes to a four-fight losing streak, you're basically like, look, that's a fall from grace. He's not that guy. But it also kind of gives Gustafson in his hometown, in a main event that's going to be decently profiled, to kind of bounce back against a guy on a three-fight losing streak. It's not going to hurt the UFC that much if Volkan takes. I don't think it's a bad fight either. This is when people are like, we, they, they, when, when, when news, I've, I've talked to you about this before on the MMA Hour. Like when news breaks about a fight, people like get super super excited. To me, I don't think every fight is equivalent. That would be a silly thing to say. But kind of, there are certain situations where one fight is not necessarily all that much worse yeah. or better than the other one. I take some of your points. I don't think it was the optimal fight. I also yeah. think people are being a little bit too cynical and a little bit too unfair. The guys are coming off of title fight losses. They have a road back to climb, and there's so many uncertainties. Could there have been more clarity somewhere else? Probably, but you do get some here. It's worth investigating. And that. I think that yeah, those, those are comments a couple of days after the loss to Jones about taking the fight against his own wishes, I think that fueled some of this argument. At the end of the day, it's going to be a fun fight. I want to see it. Let's yeah. see what happens. It's going to be a good fight, you know, so that, that's that's all that matters. All right, so I know folks love it online when I look at my phone. Um, here are some of the other fights on this card. Very quickly, I want to see what you guys thought of them. So the main event, of course, is going to be Smith and Gustafson. Your co-main event, I kind of like this one. Speaking of Volkan Uzdemir, Taking on Ilir Latifi. Brian, love or no? No, oh, love. It's going to be action. Yeah. And you got Vulcan, who, who's going to be a little bit desperate there. And look, beefy Latifi bangs. And isn't that his backyard in Sweden? <laughs> beefy Latifi is what you call him? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun one because you got a, a really crisp striker versus somebody that can wrestle and is just a, you know, a bulldozer. Really powerful And guy. fast versus kind of yeah. slow, but also explosive. Yeah. And also both guys coming off of losses. Kind of interesting there as well. Fight, Jim, yeah. Jimmy Manawa taking on Alexander Rakic. If you guys do not know... Yep. Who Alexander Rakic That's going to be a banger. I have a feeling you're about to find out. I've been watching this guy for a while. He was a little bit unrefined when I first saw him, kind of sticking to some more uh, fight control tactics, a lot of takedowns and sort of top control. He is a physical specimen at that in weight the UFC class. From Austria, looks like, looks like it could be somebody. Trains through. at ATT. Uh, KO power. I'm telling you. And that's why it's good matchmaking because Jimmy Manuel is open and he's saying, look, I'd, I'd take losses if it means I can put out fun fights. So and also, he's, he's pushing 42. So, like, this is a much better, like, rising guy, maybe a guy mm -hmm. who's a little bit on the back end of his career. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani taking on Chris Fishgold. I can never get over They They keep putting Chris Fishgold on all these, like, uh, you, you know, UFC uh, Mars, UFC Saturn's moons or whatever. Uh, Demir Hadzovic taking on Christos Giagos. And the Daniel team are taking on... A donk I can't uh, name. Lastly, a couple other ones I wanted to sort of note here. Nick Hine versus Frank Camacho That's gonna on be the prelim. Yeah. Brain cells will be destroyed in that one. Stevie Ray taking on Leonardo Santos. Dude, Leonardo like Santos. Yep. 
Folks forget he beat Kevin Lee striking fast years ago. Has yeah. kind of just been on the shelf. Uh, also, it's the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships this week, and he is a legit black belt. And then lastly, Tanya Evinger taking on Lena Landsberg. Did I miss anything of note? I like no, the story behind got du- Duda Santana, the 3-0 and women's featherweight, who's going to be... Uh, Taking on uh, Bad News Barbie there, who's 2-0. Uh, B, I forgot her last name. Uh, Dude has got an interesting backstory. I read a nice little MMA junkie profile on her. We're battled some substance abuse issues in her teenage years. Started her career, but then had to shelf it because of pregnancy. Was supposed to debut on the Brazilian Dana White series and couldn't get a visa. She's hungry. Mm, all right, very good. All right, let's take it to the next story. Now, we had, uh, I spoke to uh, Uriah Faber a couple of weeks ago, and then it came out just a short time after that he was unretiring. He is going to return to action. UFC Sacramento, I believe, July 13th. This will be on ESPN+, Plus, which means virtually no one is going to pay attention. And uh, he will be ta- I think it's a co-main event role, certainly a main card slot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's going to be back in the bantamweight division. He's been gone for about three years, I think two and a half, something along those lines. He spoke to Dan Hardy, saying, you know, he retired on his own because he wanted to. He retired off a win over Brad Pickett in Sacramento, so it wasn't like on some terrible losing streak. But he made some other comments, Brian, that I thought were kind of interesting. Here's my view on it. Do I really, am I moved by a Uriah Faber versus Ricky Simone bout? No. And I know some folks were upset about it. They should have done BJ Penn. I don't know why people want BJ Penn to just get annihilated. I don't know what this like, thirst is for this. Um, I actually, th- I like it for Uriah because Ricky Simone has a very active work- workman-like style but not necessarily, I don't want to say, yeah, not much of a threat to stop a fight, at least against a veteran like that who's still pretty skilled. But it didn't really move me. I don't really feel anything about it. I'm not mad at the guy. I do think he's taking care of his health. Yeah. I think it's fine. But, like, am I super sized that he's back in this particular fight? No, not really. Where are you on this? I don't mean to start off the show with the back-to-back arguments where I'm sort of pinpoint critiquing UFC matchmaking as if I'm some closet booker when it really matters. It doesn't. But you know, Also, my it's stance- a weird conversation to have. Like, the fight is what the fight yeah, is. Yeah, but my stance ultimately, whether you're talking about Anderson Silva or any of the aging names, is if you're going to allow them to keep fighting and they're still credible, use their names for good. Now, you can argue they are. You can argue they've got Ricky Simone and say, look, on a nice little run here, maybe Uriah Faber can give him that rub. I sort of, from my standpoint, love the idea of putting aging legends in with other aging aging legends. BJ Penn is maybe the wrong argument, (laughs) but the spirit of the BJ Penn conversation is not wrong. Because in this case, Simone loses. You just stunted his growth for what? Faber, you're not considering a title contender unless you're going to match something creatively, like if a uh, Dom Cruz or a Dillashaw ran into a bell and you're trying to sort of build a storyline off a of history or something. If not, he's just fighting because he still can, because he still wants to. I don't love the idea when you're doing Anderson Silva against a Derek Brunson, against a Jared Cannonier, where you're like, storyline-wise, this is going nowhere. Seems like a waste of his name. I get you're putting Faber in Sacramento. That should sell tickets. But you're making that the co-main event. You're using a main event. Jermaine Duranamy, right? Which doesn't, Aspen Lad. doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a main event at all, even with Aspen Lad being from that fight area. It's a fine is a terrible main Love event. Love the matchup. A terrible main event. I don't get promotion selling tickets-wise why you wouldn't just put Faber in Sacramento in a main event against another aging name, a Cub Swanson, go up and down the road, whoever you yeah. want. Uh, you can get, okay, the five-round argument. Again, not every main event has to be five rounds. What do you think, Danny? I, I understand where you're coming from, but I also think there's a space for young guys to fight legends. We, you know, Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya, I thought that was, you know, perfect matchmaking. And look what it did to Israel Adesanya. It just boosted his profile by a lot. So I like Ricky Simones. I feel like in some sort of way, he actually kind of looks like he would be part of Team Alpha Male. Like he has that style. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, but, um, but yeah, I like that fight. I think he's super legit. He's got an awesome mullet as well. Yeah, so, he has the yeah, best, he has mullet, the best mullet in seen. MMA, for sure. Since Mike Pyle, at least. Yeah, 100%. but he's 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 got a better mullet than my Yeah, father. it's so long. But anyways, um, I think this is a fine. I, I think this is a fine fight, and I don't have you know any problems with him coming back. I'm Are actually pretty you excited. I'm excited. I'm excited really? to see California kid fight in Sacramento and see what he looks like. Because look, Uriah Faber. We talk when we talk about the smartest fighters of all time. We always talk about GSP, but I feel like Uriah Faber is often left out. The guy left as a top five bantamweight. He left you know on a win on in his hometown. He has one of the most recognized teams in MMA, uh, author, successful businessman, et cetera. Takes pretty good care of his health, you know. He's never been knocked out or anything like that. 
if I think if anything, this break might have actually extended his career. It might have been actually a good thing. And he actually left when he was supposed to. Um, so I, I'm excited him? to see, see what Hedder, he looks Hedder like. Hedder beat him twice. Yeah. Decision and TKO. The TKO, that but was he had the thumbs up, yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't see and he was fishing. Right. He, was, he was trying to get a takedown. Um, I believe a single, if I, if yeah. I remember correctly. So I'm actually curious to see what he looks like at 135. In, in, I mean, the curiosity factor yeah. is fine. The whole question is, is this the right matchup? And again, I think it in, in the end, does it really matter? No. Because look, if Ricky, Simons, if Ricky Simone's wins, like Uriah Faber and your resume, that's that's pretty darn good, man. That's great. It's great for Ricky Simone. I'm happy for them. But like, I don't know. It doesn't move me. I don't feel anything. Like when they announced, when they announced Max Holloway versus Frankie Yeager, which I realize is a very different scenario for a lot of different reasons. I'm just simply saying that's, that's a world title thing. Hundred percent. It's not the same. It's apples to oranges in many, many capacities. And there was a debate about should it have been Volkanovski versus Edgar. But at the end of the day, I was like, oh God, I cannot wait to see that fight. There's, I, I don't. There's nothing. There's no there there with this one. Like I'm not mad at Uriah Faber for coming back for all the reasons you yeah. mentioned. Good ambassador for the sport, taking care of his health. Not at some kind of tremendous knockout risk in this fight. Has been fine, active. Fine, fine, no problem. Go do what you want to do. The UFC wants it back, by the way. They tried to get uh, Cody Garbrandt on this card. They couldn't, so they pulled yeah. him to deep into the bag of tricks. Credit to the UFC for, uh, fine. All that stuff's fine. But like, as a fan speaking, is this a fight I care about? No, it is not. It is not a fight I even remotely care about. And, and, and while the matchmaking, I gather, could have been different, we can always have these questions, I... I, I just, I'm more trying to get a sense of like how the fan base feels about it. Also, he's pushing 40. Yeah. And you're right, he is a smart fighter, smart businessman, smart guy. At the same time, the knock on him when he retired was, and I believe largely fair, mm-hmm. no fighter's perfect, is that he didn't really adapt over time. He was sort of rejecting what the the, the best practices that Dwayne Ludwig had brought to Team Alpha Male. You know, he beat Dominic Cruz the first time, then lost, and they rematched in what, UFC 199, I think, somewhere around there, 198. Yeah, 199. And uh, it wasn't even close. Like, it was just, he got lapped. And so, I don't see how time off fixes that. I don't know that Ricky Simone's the guy to take advantage of it. I guess we'll see. But, I don't know. For me, it just feels I'm, I'm, a little lifeless. I'm more interested in UFC Sacramento now that you're favors on that card than, than before. I would say for, that's fine. It, 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 everyone's mileage will vary. I would say for me, quite modestly. And also, he's been off, and he's been working a lot of his, on his jujitsu. We don't know if he's adapted. Did you watch he's his match with Nicky Ryan. I didn't, but Nicky Ryan is Nicky Ryan. Okay, but it wasn't close. Like it wasn't close for thirty seconds. Um, you know, I'm not sure what to say. You ever wonder if history would have been different? Had Faber gotten that McGregor match at 196 after RDA pulled out instead of Nate Diaz? Because Faber will tell you it came down to the two of them, and it was Connor's choice. Yeah. You know what's funny? On the Dan Hardy podcast, he said uh, that Connor was telling him to go after TJ. <laughs> that catches my interest a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, yeah. That, that I would be like, ooh, okay. Look, what, what if Uriah Faber pulls off a, a Shogun Hua and just extends his career by fighting once a year? Because I, I do feel like once you're older, your, your activity level should be a lot lower if you want to keep on fighting. Yeah. I mean, two years can go by pretty quick. And it's not just two years for TJ Dillashaw because, like, it's two years until he can fight. Right. He can start training camp before that. Yeah. I don't know. It's not far-fetched. I would say this. He gets two fights in, maybe? Yeah, listen to what I'm saying. Not saying he can't be competitive, but I have reasons for skepticism. I don't think the Ricky Simone fight tells us a lot uh, if unless he wins, like, dramatically. And even then, it'd be, like, a little I, bit. I think it does. He's 26, young guy, uh, pretty well-rounded. What's Ricky He's Simone's gonna... best win? Right. So, uh, still though, I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna who? All right, who who would you rather have favor fight then, on that card? Um, An old guy with a name. Rather than Come BJ on. Penn here, yeah, uh, BJ Campbell's, Penn, Campbell's suggestion. The BJ Penn idea, I can't believe people are like BJ Penn should fight Francis Ngannou. I'm like, Jeez. what is wrong with y'all? It should um, be a Frankie Edgar type. I know they already fought, and Edgar has a title shot. Yeah. But it should be a Frankie Edgar type. The Cub really Swanson knows. idea is super interesting. I kind of like that one yeah. a lot. Good old WEC throwback because you can have Faber coming up a little bit. Um, the loss, you know, how much does it mean exactly? I don't know, but the it just I don't. Somebody I don't, get Miguel Torres up in the bullpen, right? Yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, all right. So let's do this one. Let's go to the next story, which is kind of interesting. Yoel Romero uh, has Yoel Dinero. <laughs> Did you see that online? Or did you just come up with that. No, I saw it online. Oh, that is such <laughs> a good one. Uh, I get that money. Uh, Yoel Dinero Romero is, well, we don't say. So however long ago, I can't remember the dates at this point anymore, but he was flagged by USADA for a potential violation. 2015. 2015 is what it was, yeah. And so it turns out that in the end, he gets, this is what I love. Yoel Romero drives the critics crazy. 
because they, it, it, he is a walking embodiment of someone who just destroys all their arguments about advantages and which ones we tolerate. The guy has been tested at a higher level, whatever that's worth, longer than any other UFC Seems athlete. Like he was like 15 somewhere. Yeah, he's, by the way, his physique has not changed at all. And uh, like there's been no swings in it whatsoever. And the one time he has an issue, he gets exonerated essentially by USADA. They, they still give him the six months for a strict liability violation, but they basically says he did not cheat. That has to eat his critics a lot. I mean, for them it doesn't matter because they just saw the headline, you know, Yo Romero potential, you know, yeah. violation. And the, and the best part is they're like, That's how all they a, see. That's all they need. They're like, how can a 42-year-old man move like that? Guys, it's called unbelievable genetics. You see them, the guys out of Cuba all the time, you tolerate that. You don't even need to go to Cuba. Just go to Miami. Yeah, Miami. You guys think that's only possible with PEDs. This is the incoherency. I've been trying to explain to you guys about what advantages you tolerate and don't. Different conversation for a different time. Here's what did happen, Brian. He got popped for this. And uh, while he was exonerated in the end by USADA, he sued the company, I think called Gold Star Labs or whatever. Yeah. Some fly-by-night operation. Sounds like an adult men's club. <laughs> it really does. Did you go to their website? Uh, no, I, I actually went to their website and looked at their products. It's the standard stuff. You know, BCAA, creatine monohydrate, CLA, that kind of thing. A little and, bit of... Uh... Yeah, a little <laughs> bit of crack sprinkled on top. Um, and he sued them, and he won. Now, here's the deal. He wins $27.5 million, although there might be, even be multiples of that, depending on who you listen to. The the uh, You knew he sued a real um, above-board company because they didn't even respond to the lawsuit or show up. <laughs> so he won essentially in absentia. Uh, and again, I don't think he's going to get any of this money because I don't think Gold Star on their best day had a million dollars, much less 27 million. There's just, he might drive them into bankruptcy. So what might, is the, Might, Yeah, yeah well, okay, assuredly will. What is the upside for you, Will? What does this event actually do for him in the end? Clear his name. Does it clear his clears name? his name. I'm not 100%. sure that it does. Tell Look, you're me, always going to have skeptics. You're always going to have skeptics in 2019 that everybody's using. And when you got a body that's a wonderland like that, good Lord. I mean, at that age, I mean, come on. I'm not talking about using my hands, but like that's that's just <laughs> absurd. But I think this is somebody who went to bat for himself and won. So it does clear his name. He's able to stand strong with that. Yeah. And you just don't see that today because if you get even a sniff of that, whether you get caught for, for drugs, recreational or not, it just sticks with you. Warren Sapp always said that. Remember the day before the NFL draft and he popped for a weed test? and, and it Well, was, Warren Sapp and, is a disaster. Well, what I'm saying is I remember at the time he was like, this is going to follow me my entire career. You guys will not stop harping on it. It's the first thing I thought about every time I heard Sapp's name throughout his whole career. To be able to turn back and erase that is strong, especially for a guy who still has it at this age, is still a contender, is still a factor, and wants to remove that in such a muddled climate of... Which side you're on in the drug test battle? I'm sure Professor Luke over here has got a long spiel. You're going to be coming no, about no, no. how this exposes the drug testing system or how we should all juice along with them. I'm not really I, sure. I, I advocate your... neither of these positions, but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, it seems like a victory. Yeah, it's yeah, a victory. Is it, is, it, is it a real victory or are we just saying it's a victory? No, nah, it is. It is. I think the trolls will always be there no matter what. I think even if he never tested positive for anything, uh, you know, the trolls are always going to be there. And even with this, but nonetheless, it's another layer of like, look, F you. I was clean. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if the, the court wouldn't have decided uh, for Yoel Romero if, if you know if it wasn't if it wasn't true. So um, this is again another victory for for Yoel Romero. And I think on you know talking to ESPN, he said it himself like I'm sick of the you know soldier of steroids comments and and all this stuff. Like this this in a way like it's 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 more important than than just the money. Like look guys, I'm clean. Yeah, it wasn't about so, the money, and I respect yeah. that. You got to respect. I'm it. a little bit. I'm a little bit skeptical. It will radically. Not radically, but you gotta. It's gotta do something. At least, look. If you're an intelligent human being, you see that and you go, "Oh, right." Yes, yeah, but most people clean. are not. Okay, well, whose opinion do you value? Almost no one's. <laughs> All right. Next. No, I guess I'm just trying to think this through. Like, I'm just trying to wrestle with the idea, like, if you get popped and then USADA comes back and says, okay, you didn't cheat, you could have been a little more careful, yeah. but you didn't cheat, um, and then you sue a company and then you win a judgment for a huge amount of, like, money, in the end, I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm really trying to ascertain is, what does that do for the fighter or the athlete who, who did that? What is the real measurable benefit? Because we can probably all agree the money is not going to be there in most cases unless it's some mm -hmm. kind of really. It's a moral victory is where you're going. With it's this. a moral it's victory, a moral but victory. I guess I'm trying to. I guess what I'm trying to say is and do, it cleans his name a bit. Does it meaningfully change opinions of critics? And I'm not talking about trolls, critics. 
Does this move the needle on critics? And should, Danny, other fighters do it? We know, for example, Lyman Good is trying. He hasn't, yeah. uh, I think it's still unresolved. Is this a model that other athletes should follow? For sure, because it does clear your name, you know, up to some degree, right? Maybe not completely, but trolls are going to troll, right? Uh, but it does clear your name, and second, look, you might get some money out of it. So, and and you did get screwed over by you know ruining your reputation. Why didn't you saw to clear his name? Like, what does this do to clear his name? Why didn't you saw No, in other words, you comes out and says this guy was the victim of a tainted supplement. He could have been more careful. Yes, but he didn't cheat. Yeah. How does this? Change, like, why isn't what they said enough? Oh, well, this is just, it should be enough because, you know, you have USADA who's overseeing all of this and, and they're the governing body of this. It should be enough. But, you know, people have lost some trust with USADA depending, you know, on, on certain situations. Um, so, you know, once one thing's put into question, a lot of things are put into question. But this is just another layer of taking that even I think farther. what he's saying is there's a cynical assumption as fans that if you get cleared by USADA, it doesn't mean you were really clear, mm -hmm. right? I don't understand that at all. Like, oh, they're the adults in the room, except when they're not, and I can't find, it just feels so arbitrary yeah. when the fans decide that they're doing their job or not. Like, it goes back to the John Jones thing, or even the Paulo Costa, you know, uh, offering substantial yep. assistance. Oh, that is a terrible thing. Guys, that is how they do their very best work. The testing is not how they catch people. Okay, they catch donks that way. But like the big fish, it's all from investigations, and it's all from people providing them information to that effect. Now, what those guys provide in this particular case or any other, your guess is as good as mine, but like people have decided that this is disreputable. How is it disreputable to do the act that enables this institution that I am told is necessary for combat sports unless there's Bellator or one, which is another, again, another incoherency <laughs> in everyone's position around this. But I'm serious, like, um, I guess I'm just a little bit, I feel happy for you, well, because I saw the smile on his face with his agent. They were like arm in arm. It clearly mattered to him. Yeah. And I guess in the end, well, it calls it, it calls everything he's accomplished in question. And there are cer a certain pride in an athlete. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just give up that pride. You're like, I can't, I can't please anybody. I don't care. Right. But I think for him, that pride was very, very important. For it's also just kind of a wake up call as well. Like I don't know what kind of money well makes, but he typically makes a little bit better. He's been in some headlining spots. Yes. Championship bouts. You know, like. I, you need some money to, to 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 clear your name a little bit, which is a bit of an unfortunate situation. Is it a wake-up call for uh, these providers of uh, supplements who just sort of add things in and don't put them on the label? No, this will keep happening. Unless the, I, Here's what I would say. Unless there's... My hunch, because this is not the first time it's happened. This happened in uh, NFL. Yeah. It's happened in Major League Baseball. Um, my hunch is that unless athletes really started to hammer them, and there was like a turnkey way mm -hmm. where like Danny Pops but gets cleared, and then there, you know how there's like ambulance chasers? If there was like an ambulance chaser for athletes when it came to contaminated supplements, where they could pick up your case, file it, you know, and then just push it through, if there was a way to do that and there was this avalanche of right. response. If it became more of a uh, reoccurring thing, common thing. Yeah, yeah. Com like very frequent. Like you yeah. knew if they popped, we're going to get sued. You might get something. But until then, a lot of these athletes are like, I don't have the money. What's the point? I don't That's really right. care. Like I'm back fighting, you know. Who else popped um, uh, Dirty Bird? Tim Means? Tim Means, yeah. Is he suing the company that did it to him? Well, not everybody can afford to go down yeah. that road. That's, that's my know? point. Like, there's a there's a financial barrier to name clearing that just seems a little bit unfortunate. I'd but. do a cycle of TRT in a second to be able to grow an actually manly beard. Yeah, you're you're stuck. Your beard is yeah. uh, it is trash, unfortunately. I do like Danny's We Will Rocky mustache, though. Again, I got to point that the out. The bigote yeah. is legitimate. Very prime mercury. I love Th it. Thicker than yours? Well, that's why I'm. That's why I'm willing to go under. That's why I'm willing to get the injection right in the cheekbone. What All right, we gotta do? let's go to the next story if we can. Uh, Max Holloway did some media tours in uh, Canada. Max, the uh, the great Hawaiian who loves Canada for reasons that remain unclear. Tenth Island, baby. Tenth Island. I think that's always Vegas. So it's Ninth Island. So I guess Canada's Tenth Island. Uh, in any event, he was there this week, of course, uh, to promote his fight at UFC 240. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Opposite Frankie Edgar. And while he's there, he spoke to the media. I think Aaron Bronstetter and some other ones out there. And he basically made the argument, Danny, that, okay, so things didn't go great against Poirier. He was the better man that night. He gave him all the credit in the world. But he says, you know what? I'm still in the mix at 155. Now, I looked at the top of that division. You've got Habib at the top. Then you'll, I'm not saying this is the exact order, but it's something like this. Then you've got Poirier. Then you've got Connor, Tony. Uh, you've got Cowboy. You've got Edson, you've got Ally Aquinta. Is Max Holloway in the mix with those guys? 
I think so. I mean, he he fought Poirier, you know, a super tough guy, you know, probably the second best lightweight there, right? I mean, you can make an argument for that. But he fought somebody that's super legit, and also he didn't get much time to acclimate to the division. So when he does get another chance, because as I said it a million times on this show, his days at 145 are numbered. You know, he he can easily jump back in there and fight anybody. And if he does the the, the process right, I think he can compete with most guys. I mean, he went. Uh, Tell to me a, who he beats at that those names I mentioned: Edson Barboza, Iaquinta, Cerrone. Poirier. I, uh, for example, well, well, I don't want to single out fighters, but for example, I, I don't like his oh, chances out, against Aya Quinta. Okay. Uh, you know, Edson Barbosa could be could be interesting. You know. Okay. Um, These are six and Ma- seven. McGregor, then. that'd be a fun one. Yeah. I feel like he could probably beat him. You like his chances? Yeah. Okay. So, and, and not only that, but if you look at that division, all those guys, Tony Ferguson, thirty-five. I don't like his chances against Tony. I don't. I don't either. But look, Tony Ferguson, thirty-five. Um, Don Cerrone, 36. McGregor, 30. Uh, Iaquinta, 32. I mean, you name it. All those guys are in their 30s or, or mid-30s. Max Holloway's 27. Mm. Say he sticks an, another year or two at featherweight at most, right? All those guys are not going to be in their prime anymore. So this conversation would be a well, lot different as well. fighting odometer 27 years old. Though. I think that's where the... I mean, uh, he's also Hawaiian and, 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 and <laughs> he's super tough. I mean, when, when, when was the last time he got stopped? So you got a good point there. I don't understand his comments. A couple of things that there were some holes in them. One of them saying, I think it's a clearer and quicker path to a title at 155. Hey, Max, 155 is the is historically deep right now. It's a carnival It has of, had an exodus, though. Pettis has moved on. Lee has Lee, moved on. Dos Anjos has moved on. Even with those, it's insanely deep right now. And it's still insanely muddled from the idea of people that are deserving Tony Ferguson getting another title shot right now. But, again, but here, so, so, so here's my point. What I saw in that Max Poirier fight, Look, I saw one of the fights of the year. I saw Max fight his heart out as he always does and never stop trying to win that fight. But if we're going to use that fight as a comparison of how Max would deal against these super elites, and by the way, lightweight's full of super elites, I think I saw a power and size gap that works against his style. That yes, he would be able to compete in that top 10. There's certainly guys he would be able to outwork and outlast and maybe stop in terms of uh, you know exhaustion and accumulation. But I don't see him as a championship player as that division is currently constructed well, right now, where it would be smart to throw his hat in there when you are the champion at featherweight right now, you finally got a couple names that are worth fighting that you can make big fights against that you'd be favored to beat them all. Let me ask you this. Did you see Poirier's championship material once he uh, left 145 and went up to 155? Well, he had to reinvent himself. Max Holloway can do the same thing. He's still young, and there is a process that you got to go through. He didn't say he had to reinvent himself. He said he was in the mix for a title. In the mix. Well, just out of name value, we have to assume that that's true. If also, his ties with Conor McGregor, that's true. But we're speaking of this as, as if they were to fight right now. The dude still has a fight with Frank Edgar. Again, all these guys are in their 30s. This division was going to look a lot different in a year or two from now. So, um, I'm not. Here's what I would say. I, I agree with you. Dustin Poirier, did you guys hear what he had to say on uh, the uh, food, food Truck Diaries? I saw a part of it. I didn't see it. So about the, about the Holloway fight, what he basically said was he was like he was really happy with the effort. He said he was surprised at like media reaction afterward being strictly about the power. He goes, you know, to me, I won that fight because of smarts and I found tiny openings. His accuracy was amazing. And I was like, there's no doubt that Dustin is right about that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, in fairness to the media reaction, I looked at the numbers. Do you guys realize that numerically Max Holloway outstruck him? Max Holloway landed more on Dustin in terms of a numbers standpoint yeah. than the other way around, which is like crazy to think about because Max would touch him and then, you know, it would have an effect. And then Dustin would touch him and his whole body would move. Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's why I think they focused on it. So someone made a point to me. If he's going to go back up, probably take some time. Like, don't just like do your normal life and then cut 10 yeah. less pounds. Bulk up a little bit so to get right at the weight class. I would say, you know, to go the distance with him, you know, look, Alvarez couldn't do that twice. Gaethje couldn't do that twice. Yep. Max did it. On the other hand, he got brutally beaten doing it. So I like the idea of a Max Holloway versus an Ally Quinta or a Max Holloway versus, more especially, an Edson Barboza. See, I, I like the idea one. out of necessity. If it's if it becomes clear that he 100% cannot make this way consistently and it's not healthy for him to do so, move up. If the idea is only on financials and you're like, we can give you a Connor fight, we can give you a Habib fight after Habib beats the other killers in front of him, then marketing-wise, you're going to make that fight. But unless he's going to commit to moving up and, like you said, restructuring his body, I think he has a style that against the very elites 
will lead to him accumulating a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. My point being is this. I think I'll split the difference between the both of you. I think Danny's right that based on name value, that fact that he is, as we speak today, still a champion, you kind of have to take that seriously, so I do. However, the physical nature and the way in which he lost against Dustin also makes me think taking a bit of a step back, not a huge one, yeah. a little one. That's why I like the 6-7 spot, Iquinta Barboza. That is where, like, let's fight those guys, or one of the, one of the two. You look good against them. Hey, now we're cooking with gas. And and that's all part of, you know, getting acclimated and doing a proper move to 155. You don't want to fight the top dog right away. You want to ease your way into that division. And obviously, you know, the top 10 is still a tough ask. But nonetheless, it's not fighting the number two guy. It's crazy to me that some of those guys can leave the division and you're still talking about these names at the top. That is a, I mean, that division is... One more thing, though. I didn't like the spirit of Max's comments. That's largely what I'm responding to. And by when I say that is, I don't think he deserved an interim title shot at a time when that division was historically loaded and you had people who were insanely deserving. You can argue with me, Tony wasn't ready and all that stuff. I get it. But still, they plugged him in at a time I didn't think it made any sense. for. So for him to throw out the comments now that I'm still in that mix, I still want another title shot, it's like... You kind of just got humbled. Go back to 45 and own that kingdom until you can't make that weight. Yeah, I, uh, that's the other part. Like, what happens if he loses against Edgar? All of this talk at 55, unless he has some kind of weight cut yeah. related problem, yeah. all of this talk then goes away. So perhaps he did get a little bit ahead of himself on that one. I guess the only time will tell. Uh, another issue, I didn't, this was funny to me. I, I was caught off guard on this one a little bit, which was I have noticed something. So this week, Bellator announced that it wasn't going to be Sonnen versus Machida as their main event for Bellator 222 just down the, well, I should say, up the street um, at uh, MSG in a couple of weeks here. Wow, it's yeah. right around the corner. June 14th, yeah. I still haven't applied for credentials. Sorry, Bellator, I'll do it. I apologize. Um, I got to do that, too. I completely forgot. Uh, all right, so here's the deal, though. It, they instead put Rory versus Neiman Gracie, which is your semifinals of the welterweight tournament, as well as, as a consequence, a title fight as the main event. Now, I didn't see a lot of belly aching about it, but here's what I did see on our show on Monday. Yep. Someone wrote or called and said, isn't it weird that you've got for UFC 238, you got these two title fights, but Tony and Cerrone are getting all the marketing push. And I thought to myself, no, there's nothing weird about that at all. Mm-hmm. So Brian, what's the situation here? Why are, like, how should a promoter handle it? Would you have preferred that they just kept Sonnen versus Machida because that's the most marketable one? Or is it better to be like, let's honor our champions, put them at the top, but let's put our advertising resources behind the horses that will take us the furthest? I don't understand the controversy here, but there yeah, was I some. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any controversy to it. Let's remember when it leaked out, when you first saw the reports that you were going to get Sonnen Machida at MSG, we didn't know who was coming out of that Rory-John Fitch fight. And if you're Bellator, there's no chance under any circumstance, you're putting John Fitch and Neiman Gracie in the main event of a tentpole card like this. So I think announcing the Chael, who brings in the fans, obviously, that fight, and then you have the situation where Rory advances, you go, okay, well, look, we're not going to do a five-round co-main event title fight when we have Rory, who is the biggest pickup in our promotion's history in terms of getting a guy in his prime. So I think it, doing the last-minute switcheroo might not look the best, but who cares in the end? It really doesn't matter who's going to go on last, but I think it would be smart if I had a choice to put the title fight on last because it means so much for that tournament. It means so much for a title defense. And then you have the added thing of, is Rory ever going to be the same in that whole, I think you got enough to drive that where it makes it a smart decision. And I don't yeah. think debating it, what are you debating here? Also, I, I don't think it was only a question of, oh, I, we don't know who's going to come out between you know Rory and, and McDonald. I mean, McDonald and, and Fitch. But also, that those two fight cards were, what, six, seven weeks apart? So... You don't want to start promoting, you know, your main event as, look, this is the championship bout, and then have one of those guys come out injured, and, th- and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, we're just going to bump this one. All of a sudden there's no, no, more, no more main event. So I think they did the right choice in, you know, keeping Machida and, and, and Sonnen as the main event. And then as soon as, you know, that got figured out, you know, they, they bumped it. And at the end of the day, like, this is a title fight. It should, you know, they should honor the champions. And also, not only from honor, but, like, Bellator should start – and not start, but because I think they already do, but you know, they should try to push to, to value their titles a lot more. And I think when you put it in a co-main event with two former UFC guys, in a way you're sending a message to the fans, what, what is more important, either our name value for these guys that made their name in another promotion or actually our actual world title. And I think that's what they're doing here. And I think it was the right call. Uh, here's my view. I don't and look, really... At the end of the day, the fights are still going to happen. Exactly. Anyway, so Here's my view. I don't care what method they go through. I think the only weird one would be, let's have Rory versus Neiman at the top. 
Son and Machida as your co-main, and then putting your marketing efforts behind Rory and Neiman. Yes. And folks will be like, well, what do you want to yeah. promote your champions? To a degree, that's where you can do some of the promotional assets like pre-fight, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, countdown shows or whatever. But in terms of your advertising dollars, why would you not promote Chael Sonnen? And also, if you're Chael Sonnen, well, you got your hands full with media obligations because Neiman and Rory ain't going to carry it for you. I had Neiman Studio. No, 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 don't get me wrong. These are these are great people, but not everybody is great at doing media. It's just a reality of the business. Chael Sonnen is, so he's got a heavy load there. I'll be honest about this, though. Like, I've come around a little bit. I'm of the belief that, like, I have zero issue putting title fights and then marketing effort fights below it. No problem. Fine. I will sleep just fine. On the other hand, if they did the other way, I wouldn't really care either. Yeah. Like, when, you, I don't think when, you've got, when you've got executives on deposition saying, yeah, the titles don't mean anything. It's just a trophy we give to the best fighter that night. Why am I supposed to dignify their title? Why, what, why is it my responsibility then to say, oh, no, no, no. We must treat this with the, with the <laughs> as sacrosanct as it is. No, you just said under oath that this is a trophy and it doesn't mean anything. Fine. Put it on the card where it deserves to be, which may or may not be at the top. Yeah, I, I think in the end, I don't think it's a battle worth arguing. I, I thought it was refreshing that they would put Rory in the main event and, and give the title value, and I think it's a it's a right move. But if you want to flip the script and talk about June 8th, UFC 238, I would rather UFC go, look, Ferguson is the biggest story on this card. We're making that the main event, and it's going to be five rounds, and these other great title fights I are now agree. advertisers with that. And if they went in that direction, and I kind of wish they would go in that direction because it's the fight people care about the most. It's probably the fight you should put on last. It's also the most important regard. one on the card. You can talk champ champ all you want. That's not a fight that should be made. I think Marlon Moraes is the most deserving bantamweight yep. contender that there, that there is going right now, no doubt about it, but Henry Cejudo under no terms deserves this fight. I'm sorry, not, nothing against him, but the TJ won, whatever. This is not the TJ redux, so I don't agree with it. And on top of it, you've got Tony Ferguson, the most interesting fighter on that card, who's been gone, who's had these personal struggles. He just happens to be fighting the winningest UFC fighter of all time. Who, who, has not, who is a main event brand. That's no question about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Why would that not be the main event? Oh, no disrespect to Valentina Shevchenko. She's probably going to, I don't know what's going to happen, but if past this prologue, she's probably going to blow through Jessica I. So where does that leave you? It leaves you in a space where, again, if they wanted to defend the titles, that's fine. But under deposition... It's not what y'all are telling us about the value of these things. So I just want to point that out here a little bit. Um, all right, so here's something that's kind of interesting about UFC's weird choices. Let's talk about Elias Theodoru for a second, who has finally made his um, return to social media. And I know it has to be hard for him, man. You lose your job like that. Went 8-3 and three in the promotion. Um, was on a 3-1 and one win streak in his last four. Did lose his last one to Derek Brunson. Came off of the uh, Tough Nations show back when he was like 25 or 26. And they cut him. They cut him coming off of a loss. I guess the rule is if you're coming off of a loss, they can legally do it, If and even if you have fights left on your card, or sorry, your contract. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was at the end of it or not, but because um, I reached out, reached out to him, I didn't hear back. Um, but in, in any case, they let him go, Danny. So let's sort of dig into this a little bit. We, we touched on it on, on Monday's show, yep. but we've had some time to think about it. He got out there and was saying on social media, he goes, I thought it was my job to outsmart my opponents and present a difficult challenge for them, and that's what I did. And if that's how he sees his job, then he's right. The problem is, I don't think your employer sees your job yeah. that way. True or false? 100% true. I mean, if that wasn't true, he'd still have his job, I, you know, I believe. And it, it, that's what it came down to. It, it came down to exciting because I, I know that on the MAR we touched on, on, on him, you know, not, no longer being this young prospect, kind of just being, you know, to, in, I'm trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to... Uh, throw a knock on, on, on Theodora, but being sort of a finished product. Like, he is who he is at this point. Um, but at the end of the day, even if even if another fighter was in the same position, but he was exciting, I'm sure they would have, you know, he would have stuck around. There is a value to maybe not being the best, but within the top 10, within the top 15, those guys that are not on the, on the come up, but just kind of linger in that space. I think there is a value to that because they they serve as a measuring stick. They serve as 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 a measuring stick for fighters that are dropping off, for prospects that are coming up. So I think that that's very important, and, and I think the UFC values that. But it came down to, look, his fights just weren't all that exciting, and at the end of this, the day, it's, a, it's an entertainment sport, and that's what the UFC's trying to do. You yeah, know, you nailed it. On, it's it's business. It's yeah. not personal. It's, it's not really a sport. It's an entertainment product yeah. in the end. So it's, I mean, look, it's a heartbreaking cut if you look at the fairness of things. 
but so is a heartbreaking cut in the corporate world when somebody maybe gets promoted a little bit higher than their worth actually is, and they're still a contributor, but they go, you know what, that salary, sorry, we're going to have to cut ties with you. And I'm not necessarily trying to make that argument that he's a veteran, he makes more. Yeah, I was say, are you defending ghoulish corporate America and it's practices? Easy, and it's easier for UFC to say, well, we can get a younger, more exciting fighter and pay him a lot less. And maybe that's the truth. I'm just talking more on in the end. It's an entertainment business. UFC from day one has been about that. Yeah. Dana White, they give out bonuses for a reason to try to create more exciting matches. Not fair, but it's not like he didn't know this coming in. And, and, and look, UFC in the past, if they don't even like you, they can cut you. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the way it is in the end. So yeah. it sounds like, okay, I don't like the UFC's decision. I, if they had asked me, should we cut him? I would have said no. Sounds like you're saying you would have said yes. No, I'm saying I'm not surprised. I'm saying it's on brand. I'm saying it's kind yeah. of consistent with their ways, whether you hate their ways or not. They'll let somebody with sometimes four or five losses in a row if they're an exciting fighter or linger yeah. because they make good TV fights. And at the level Theodore was, where he's sort of filling in those middle preliminary card matches, they'd rather have somebody exciting. It's always a central tension, right? Like, they'll you can't just go there and suck forever and then stick around. Um, well... Well, well, you kind of can a little I bit. Mean, a little, yeah. Yeah, the I mean, values yeah, are entertainment can, and above success. True. I mean, we, it's not that like we don't know that. So that's what I'm saying. It's right. At some like, point, you've got to get a win. But I think... I think if you're exciting uh, but not so great, your chances of sticking around the UFC are much longer than somebody that's, you know, pretty good, pretty decent, and really boring. Here's the reality about this. Like, the insulation from that, if you're boring, is if you're really good, right? Right, Because Because yeah. people are like, oh, the UFC is the bit where the best fight the best. And that actually is a true statement, generally speaking. But if you're not, if you're not in that part of the UFC where the best are fighting the best. And you're on the bit of the outside where I think we could say Theodore was a good fighter. I mean, eight and three in the UFCs, that's hard to do. I right? mean, he was a ranked fighter. He's, right, so that's, so, that, so, so you're not among the very, very best, but you're certainly a, a, a credible, um, talented uh, fighter. Then the equation changes dramatically. Then it's a question of, okay, well, how good exactly? How entertaining exactly? How expensive exactly? How old exactly? how native to a particular area we are coveting their fan base exactly. And then if you fail enough of those tests by UFC management standards, then the whole thing collapses. You brought up something that I think is really important here. Every time the UFC makes a decision, they kind of tell you who they are. They take the mask off and they reveal it. Dude, it's an entertainment company. Yep. It's an entertainment company. It's an entertainment company that happens to house a lot of the very best fighters, and you often get a lot of the very best fights. But at its core... It's what they do, bro. They do entertainment. And if that isn't enough in supply, in addition to the issues I raised on Monday where, you know, he was 25 when he got into the company. Okay, you're not super exciting at 25. But at 31, if it's still the kind of same thing and you've fallen short yeah. on those other and you're um, not, tests, and, and yeah. if you're not a company man, then and you're not, a, you know, a banger. It's you, it's sort of. Do you think that they were put off by the marijuana advocacy? That's why I'm saying, like, I don't know if they didn't like him. I don't know the behind the scenes thing there, but it's it wouldn't if it is. It wouldn't have been the first time that they've sort of. I, turned I out don't a guy. think company so. They, they got Nate Diaz in the roster. Uh, Sean O'Malley's out there, you know, doing his thing. I mean, he's not, he's not anti-company. No, no, but I'm saying from, from the marijuana standpoint, as far as like you know, advocating for that. Uh, I don't think he he took like a. Like, a, uh, it was more towards USADA as far as, like, look, this shouldn't be, like, a banned thing. But I, I don't think it, it was, a, like, a combative standpoint. I think, you know, I think a lot of fighters have voiced that as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a bit of a wake-up call, unfortunately. And can you imagine losing your job and then having to, like, here was, the one, here was the last thing I'll say about this. I remember distinctly, correct me if I'm wrong, boys, when Jake Shields got cut, I had detected much more fan revolt. Even when John Fitch got cut, I detected more fan revolt. Yep. I detected virtually no fan revolt. Well, there's a there's a difference. Those guys were former title challengers, and they were actually Again, within apple, that mix. I'm not saying it's apples and oranges, but yeah. those guys weren't necessarily like all exciting, you know, team yeah. one yeah. selection. But they had, you know, they had big names, strong brands. You know, Jake Shields, you know, was I'm, coming I'm, off from strong. I'm not force. speaking about my personal preference. Yeah. I'm just saying like what the general perception yeah, was. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought when Jake Shields got cut, I was like, what? Yeah. You know, no outrage yeah. on Brian Caraway getting cut. He's the first fighter to record a takedown on Misha Tate. Who are you? Pre-Ronda. I'm going to who, who, who Are you, as a person, real? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, let me do spend a little... I was going to go into Endeavor going public, which we are going to go into. I, if you want to do your proper Under the Radar. Let's do Under the Radar a little bit early, and we'll just put that topic in there. This is where we talk about a story that got a little bit less attention. So Endeavor has gone public. People have asked me, like, what it means. Not sure yet. I'm not sure if yeah. anybody knows what mm -hmm. it means, to be quite honest with you. And, like, how will it affect the UFC's business, and what does this mean for fighters? 
I don't know. I don't know what it means. But Brian had a bit of an interesting nugget that I thought was worth a little bit of extra discussion. Brian, why don't you tell us what that is? Yeah, in the boxing world, the Twitter sphere, the rumor central the past couple of weeks, there's been a discussion going on, things that seem to leak out. You hear the sort of business insiders talk about it. The idea that the PBC, which is a promotion-ish in boxing that has access to more than half, let's say, of the best fighters in the sport, has TV contracts, of course, with Fox and Showtime, may be up for sale, and Endeavor may be looking to purchase it. Now, mm. there is history late last year, I believe it was October, where Endeavor did look into the idea of purchasing Top Rank, which is the boxing promotion Bob Arum that ESPN uh, has an exclusive deal with. So what this would mean for MMA is, look, anytime Dana White gets interviewed and the idea of Zufa boxing gets breached, he says, look, it's still coming. We still got big plans. And later this year, we're still going to have big news for you. And we all sort of roll our eyes and go, yeah, whatever. But what about this? inside information here, but these rumors are out there. The idea of well, what, it, what, what it could potentially look like if Endeavor got into the boxing space, if they picked up a group of fighters as large as the PBC and Dana was able to sort of exercise, not his demons, but his long interest in boxing. And obviously we know he built UFC off of the things that boxing wasn't doing, a longtime boxing fan. And if he became the czar of Zufa Boxing and they acquired that many names that are recognizable and essentially tried for the first time to bring a league to the boxing game. It's very interesting. How expensive would PBC be? Uh, fairly large, but it's it's dicey. Billion, billion. Right? No, 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 no. It's dicey. What, you, what you'd essentially be buying is the, because it's not a structured league, you'd be buying the managerial share in all the fighters. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It wouldn't be easy. Boxing's a cutthroat sport. You'd have promoters and networks rebelling against that. But no one's ever tried to do the insulated league try to in some ways create their own title belts and inside, in some ways try to go against the boxing model and basically make the best fight the best. It always seems like an impossible journey. But as a boxing fan, as a beaten down, hardened, cynical boxing fan, you hear that news. You hear, imagine if Dana White could bring those organizational styles to a boxing promotion. It's interesting at what, the very What is least. the perception, not of this inevitability or lack thereof, but of Dana White's efforts to be involved in boxing, inside boxing? I think it'd be welcome. I think it'd be welcome from the hardened fans. It's not a it laughing stock? It wouldn't be welcome from the powers that be who are slicing each other's throats at all times to try to get, you know, whatever remaining slice of the pie. I don't believe he's left. I think he's well-respected for building up UFC to something that passed boxing in certain terms, in terms of being a consistent pay-per-view draw. So uh, I think it'd be very welcome. There'd be a lot of issues. It's not like we're close to this happening, but it would be interesting because Endeavor's making giant moves going public. Yeah. Although I think you saw Dana White's comments about if they did go public, he basically said, if UFC then would go public, I'm not interested, I wouldn't be there. Hmm. Danny, what's under the radar? I mean, y'all said when the Fertitta brothers would leave, he'd leave, but... Well, but no, yeah. but on that point, though, because if you go public, the financials go public. And if you read that Endeavor statement on when they did yeah. go public, there were the risks written out in there. And one of the risks are fighters' unions. Yep. One of the risks are concussion uh, lawsuits. I mean, could we? could the UFC exist as it does now if the financials were public? Probably, but it would be certainly, I think they want to solve this uh, other lawsuit that they have and bury the Ali Act in Congress as, as uh, thoroughly as possible. All right, in the meantime, what's under the radar, Dan? John Lineker is asking for a fighter, his release. Uh, he did recently an interview with MMA Junkie and basically said he's working at a pet shop, which I can't really picture, but sure. Uh, he's working Wait, at I'm a, sorry, he actually said this? Yeah, he's working at a pet shop. Um, and he has five kids and he doesn't really have money to Jeez you know sustain Christ. him because he's fought four times in 30 months. He's fought three times since 2017, uh, and he just doesn't get booked. Now, to be fair, I went back and, and, and looked at his record. Uh, there is three canceled bouts uh, within that span, and two of them came due to injury from his part. But nonetheless, you know, he heals up and he wants to fight. He says he's healthy now and he's not getting any fight. Uh, you know, the guy who he fought last just got a fight against, you know, half of the sun south. So he's pretty frustrated with the way the promotion um, is booking him. Apparently, it's not enough. And clearly, obviously, you know, four fights in 30 months is, is not enough. And uh, the dude wants to make money. You know, he wants to make some money and, and feed his family. So he's either asking for a fight or his release. And That's the opposite that was interesting. of John Fitch. And, and yeah, all those other it's names. It's also super we weird about. because he's super exciting. Uh, you know, it, not only is he exciting, but he's actually a legit talent. You know, I wouldn't say maybe top five, but you're definitely in the top 15. So when you have that power, you're always, you're always a top always, five talent. Always, yeah. So I don't know why the UFC perhaps isn't booking. Perhaps not many people want to take, you know, take him on. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, that's a guy working at a pet shop. Pet shop, yeah. Man. It's very rocky one, right? Adrian? Did no. he work at a pet shop? She did. 
Did she? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Rocky won. Yeah, Philadelphia, nothing. I guess right. I forget. I forgot. Mm. Um, all right, so last for me then, uh, it was it, just before the show it came out, uh, or perhaps something, that's when I saw it anyway, wherever that's worth. Uh, Felicia Spencer is going to be back in action. She just beat Megan Anderson at UFC Rochester. Congratulations. You go from beating Megan Anderson, your prize is you get to fight Cyborg for a non-title fight, which means probably no extra money. Yeah. So what is she making? The, the bare minimum, 10 and 10, 20 and 20, whatever it is. And you have to fight. I know she just got bodied by Ben Nunes, but still Cyborg for crying out loud. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be, I think, the co-main slot for UFC 240. Now, I actually interviewed Felicia after she beat Megan. Pop quiz, boys. What does she do? Does not work at a pet store. What's her real job? <laughs> Can you give us a clue? Um, it, uh, What's it related to? How, okay, okay, math. Teacher? What kind? Uh, I would just go out there and say fifth grade. What about you? You've, hazard a guess, please. Uh, she's a health teacher. No, she is an algebra teacher. Algebra Can you teacher. believe that? Algebra. And some pre-calc in there. And I actually yeah. asked her, I was like, oh, you must be psyched to be off the summer. No, she does uh, uh, online teaching, which means no summers off. In fact, she has to teach the donks who, who, uh, failed. who yeah. failed and are trying to keep up with their peers. So it's like yeah. summer school. And poor Felicia Spencer has to teach these retreads and also prepare for Cyborg for what is probably yeah. going to be not a ton of money. I'm excited for her because I actually think she's like crazy talented. Yeah, she's really good but grappler. Yeah. You don't want to talk about like from unknown to now you're fighting Cyborg in the co-main event of a pay-per-view. Oof. Yeah, here's two plane tickets to hell. Yeah. Sign, sign your soul away now, yeah. <laughs> that is a tough grind. So uh, good luck to her. She, that should be an interesting um, fight. All right. Yeah. Well, that is it for us today. Enjoy UFC Stockholm if you can. Uh, we will, of course, have coverage of it. I believe uh, Pete C. Carroll. Pete C. Carroll's there. There's actually in... uh, interviews up now from his uh, work in the media day. There you go. Yeah. So you can follow him on Twitter. You can also catch all the interviews and all the coverage live from Stockholm by MMA Fighting. We appreciate you guys watching. Until next time, for Brian, for Danny, I'm Luke. Hands up, chin down, let them fly. This is the MMA Beat.